0: publichealth.indiana.edu. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of The Herald Times, along with Sarah Whitmire, the News Bureau Chief of WFIU and WTIU. Today we're going to be talking with four guests here in the studio about reading, about summer reading. We're going to have some recommendations for you. We hope you'll join us with your own recommendations. We're going to talk about how the opportunities to read have changed from just uh, the printed word on paper to all sorts of electo- electronic electronic. Um, gadgets and devices, so we have the four guests in the studio with us, and they are Brooke Davis, bookseller at Wild Geese Bookshop in Franklin, Indiana, right up the road, Um, Elizabeth Gray is assault adult uh, audience strategist for the Monroe County Public Library, Beth Stroh is the owner of Viewpoint Books in Columbus, Indiana, and Michelle Gottschlich is the editor at Monster House Press in Bloomington. If you wanna join the conversation, you can give us a call at 812-855-0811 or toll free 1-877-285-9348 you can also send questions to the show at news at indianapolis or indianapublicmedia.org and you can follow us on twitter at noon edition so thanks for everybody coming in here stopping reading whatever you're reading <laughs> coming in to talk about about books uh, i just as sarah uh, has reminded me several times already i've missed the last couple of shows um, because I was off on vacation reading books, doing my summer reading, and, you know, I, I can join in with all my recommendations. But I want to hear from you, I, I guess, just as a you – know, from your different perspectives, and what are people reading this summer? Uh, Brooke from – your perspective as a bookseller? I mean, what what are people coming in and asking for? What are the popular things this summer?
1: Um, well, of course, John Grisham's new book came out. We've already talked about that before the show started, so mm-hmm. that's been a big seller so far. Um, a lot of, especially from my perspective, I'm uh, more of the specialist in young adult in that area in the bookstore, so um, that's been really big the last couple of years, and it keeps getting bigger. Lots of conventions, lots of Really excited readers. You get young adult readers, and uh, they're they're very passionate. That's what I love about the whole genre. Um, so right now, um, Eliza and Her Monsters just came out by Francesca Francesca Zappia, um, and she's a Central Indiana author. Um, so she's our book club pick for this month. We've started a young adult book club. Um, and then, of course, we've got Do Not Become Alarmed by Mel Molloy. Um, it's basically a family vacation gone awry, so your worst nightmare, basically. Uh, so that... Um, is also a big one this summer. And then um, Mad Country by Samrat Apadye. Um, he's also coming to the bookstore this summer to do a signing, and we're doing a book club with that, and it's a collection of short stories.
0: So, Elizabeth, I want to ask you about, the you know, from the library, what kind of things are really popular this summer?
2: The New York Times bestseller list is always people come in and literally just pick that list up and start Choosing things off the bestseller list to put holds on, and those frequently have long hold lists. People want to read them. The new Paula Hawkins book—it's um, called. I think it's Into, Into the, Water. the Water. Yeah, she wrote Girl on the Train, and she came out with a new one, Into the Water. I think it's along that same vein of you know a thriller and a catch your breath at the end kind of thing. That's been really, really popular. Um, We've also tried to, we see that people like to socialize about the books that they read. So we now have these book club kits, and we always try to buy titles that are popular that people want to read together, and then they can discuss them. The Underground Railroad, which came out earlier in the year by Colson Whitehead, we've got that as a book club kit, and that's been really, really popular as well. I did some really unscientific data mining, and I looked at the New York Times and the Amazon bestsellers, and the top genre in both of those, by far, were thrillers. So Mm -hmm. people are just loving the thrillers this summer. Okay.
3: So uh, this might be the dumbest question, but what separates a good
2: summer read from a book I might read in the? other time of year because thriller for summer so well i think when you think of summer you think of light reads reads where you don't have to like think a lot so i would say underground railroad is not a light read mm-hmm. uh, you have to kind of think when you're reading it there's a lot of issues that are brought up in it you know different things like that uh, thrillers generally i love thrillers that's sort of my brain candy um, and you don't have to think a whole bunch when you read it You kind of know what you're going to get. You know, you're going to have the dastardly villain and, you know, the awesome good guy. And he always has a woman sidekick that becomes a love interest. So you know what you're going to get. You can just sit back and you don't have to, you know, ponder anything, but just enjoy the read.
0: Yeah, and there's some books that have the the awesome, you know, good woman with the – Sidekick guy.
2: Yes. <laughs> sadly, <laughs> sadly, in the thrillers, that's More just rare. not as common. That's what we want, though. I know. Right. That's what I want to see too. But you know, when you're doing a straight thriller, usually it's the guy, and that's yeah. how it is. But yeah, I'd like to read the girl ones too. All right.
0: So. so Beth, how about uh, from from your store?
4: Well, I agree that people are generally looking for lighter reads during the summertime. But one of the things that I've noticed is a lot of our readers are picking nonfiction. Um, actually ever since the election. We've seen people buying books that they think address and maybe challenge their positions on certain social issues, but trying to understand what's happening and why there's so much divisiveness. And so sometimes they pick in the venue or in the realm of what they believe Other times they're picking something that's very different to kind of challenge their own thoughts and figure out what the other side is thinking. So we've sold a lot of nonfiction this summer. Um, The top two are Dreamland, so the Sam Keone's book that um, talks about the opiate epidemic. And um, in Columbus, where I live, we're looking at our community's response to that issue. Um, The second one is Hillbilly Elegy by J.D. Vance. He writes from the perspective of the Midwest because he's writing about Middletown, Ohio and um, some of the changes that have happened there. And again, I think it relates somewhat to the election and the political divisiveness, just people trying to understand why do so many others feel left out of the process and what has happened to us over time that has
5: resulted in that.
0: So Michelle, could you uh, start by telling us what Monster House Press is?
5: Yeah, for sure. Um, Monster House Press, we're a small independent press. Um, We began in Columbus, Ohio, um, and then moved here in 2011, I believe. Um, But we um, publish poetry mostly. We do chapbooks, perfect bound books. We do online content. We do um, a newsprint series as well. Um, It's called our quarterly and we do a pamphlet series of one long poem or one short story um, on uh, just a minimalist kind of design. Uh, and mm-hmm. yeah, we're um, we're really small, so we kind of like are in the channels beneath mainstream. Um, we kind of start off just publishing ourselves, kind of this DIY um, ethos. But now we're growing a little bit more, so. That is being set aside to welcome writers from kind of across the U.S.
0: Mm-hmm. So, you know, when we talk about you know summer reading, we're generally talking about these the more mainstream mm-hmm. you know books. But from from your perspective, are there some people that that uh, that we should all know about who you're publishing now?
5: Oh, for sure. Um, well, we're publishing a writer who's actually with the. Um, Iowa Workshops, which is kind of like the Harvard of creative writing. Um, her name is Nia Duplan. Mm-hmm. Um, and her book, um, oh, I'm gonna forget it now. Uh,
0: That's all right, you've got plenty of time.
5: Mount Pernas, uh, I'll come back to me, but mm-hmm. um, she definitely you wanna read. Um, she also writes critical theory, um, kinda like black feminism vein. She's coming out in September, I believe. Um, but. Definitely watch her. People from the Iowa workshops, they usually rise to stardom um, Mm -hmm. as far as poetry goes, which is um, not much of stardom, kind of like an insular community, but um, impressive nonetheless. Mm -hmm.
3: Just thinking about what you all, the titles all of you kind of mentioned, it seems like a lot of them have ties to the Midwest, so I just wonder what role does geography play in what what we read? Beth?
4: Well, I think um, we like to read something that is somewhat familiar to us. So if it's a setting, um, if it's an author, we've launched a series at Viewpoint where we have local and regional authors there for our signature Saturdays. And each of these authors, some are nonfiction, some are mysteries, um, they've written a variety of, of different genres, but people show up because it's an author. It's somebody who's taken that risk. and there's some kind of connection. They live locally or they've written about a community nearby um, and and they feel that connection. And they feel like maybe they aren't brave enough to take that step to write and publish their own book, but here's someone that is a neighbor or um, somebody who has taken that step. And they have real respect for that effort that they've put forth. So, I. I think it comes back to the connection. And I I think it's also part of why many of the people we see want to read real books. There's a connection that is established when you're holding that book. And when you um, set it next to the bed and you're going to sleep, and then maybe you dream about something that's happened in the book or an extension of it. it there's something so tangible and real and familiar and friendly about that, that I think people, um, they're just drawn to it. I would like to add to that.
2: Um, Bob and I were chatting about Michael Corita Mm -hmm. before we came on the air. He's our local author. He's actually from Bloomington. He still lives here. And he has become a best-selling author we cannot keep his books in the library so people really support him as soon as he has a new book that comes out they want to read it so i think that's great that you know and it's because of the bloomington connection also he's a great writer and he might write that thriller with the strong woman
6: right he might. I, I so that's know. an idea for him yeah it's yeah, a, he's good, listening. a yeah. good idea <laughs> yeah
0: my, one of the books i read when i was on vacation is a is a book of uh, thrillers but they're short stories where two authors are put together and they have to use their own characters together to create a story. And Michael Carita was one one of the one of the authors. And he was paired with Karen Slaughter, who does have a lot of strong women in her.
2: Yeah, she does. In
0: her books. And uh, so I read that. But I also read the bio of Michael. Which, it, there was something I didn't know about. I though mean, he worked for me back when he was a teenager, that he had actually been published in 10 different languages before he finished his last uh, writing class at IU.
2: So oh, wow. I his didn't last know required
0: that writing class at IU. So they were still teaching him how to write at the university. When he was He'd been published in 10 languages published. already, yeah. so yeah. Huh. All right, we have, a, we have four people when we're talking about books today, and we hope you'll join us and give us some suggestions for what you'd like to read, what you are reading this summer, or if you have any questions for, uh, you know, for our four panelists, you can join us at 812-855-0811 or toll free at 1-877-285-9348.
3: You mentioned the young, or Brooke. You mentioned the young adults book club, and this Pew data we had cited was talking about how young people are reading more than, than anybody else. Um, <laughs> why do you why do you think that is? I mean, they're the ones who have the smartphones and, and right. everything else, but they're reading books.
1: Right. Um, well, I think young people have always sort of kept um, books alive. I mean, I mean, not just young people, obviously, but I know for me, when I was a young adult, it was a lifeline. Um, you know I especially at that age you have such a hard time learning how to connect with people and I think now more than ever kids are having a hard time connecting with each other um, in a you know anything that goes beyond a smartphone because that's what they've grown up with Um, so finding connections in books can really fill in um, you know the gaps Um, you know like people like to say like my closest friends are fictional characters so I think a lot of young adults need that kind of um, connection.
0: Could you or any of the rest of our panelists talk about this this sort of trend? It seems a lot of authors who write for adults have gotten into writing for young adults now.
1: Right. Well, I mean, anyone can relate to it, honestly, because who cannot relate to a coming-of-age story? So I mm-hmm. think it's a really
4: relatable genre that anybody can get into. Um, yeah. We see a lot of adults picking young adult books to read. Um, again, it's not that it's easier reading, but it's familiar. You kind of expect the storyline to evolve as you've seen other stories in the past, and so it doesn't challenge you a lot, but it's a new take, each new book that you read. And I, I've i also seen, especially with very young children, so I have a um, three-year-old great niece and two-year-old um, great nephew, um, and. They are adept because they like music at using a smartphone to pick up music that they want to listen to. Their parents put it on there. They can turn the volume up and down. They can find the songs they want to listen to, but they read books, real books. They don't read a book on the tablet or any way other than, I mean, they have more books than I probably sell in the bookstore. And they know those books and they know when to turn the pages because they're familiar with them. But they love that that tangible sense. Um, their parents have a lot to do with that, obviously, because they're not picking them yet. But there's, again, that reality um, that you have something in your hand. It's not just a, a, a visual treat. It's much more than that. Mm-hmm. But don't you also think if an author
2: starts writing for young adults or even children because some of them I think James Patterson has done a children's series. Yes. So then as the kids get older, Mm -hmm. they recognize that Uh name. (laughs) They're gonna buy those books as adults, buy this you know, it's kind of a smart marketing yeah concept.
0: (laughs) Well the author I was thinking of is Rick Reardon who writes mm-hmm. what the Percy Jackson yeah, series? Yeah, the Percy yeah.
1: Jackson series. But
0: I had no idea he wrote those books and I'd read several of his a- adult, you know, the books about uh, that would just be for me.
1: That's it, funny yeah. cuz I had no idea he wrote adult books. Oh yeah.
0: Books. <laughs> yeah, he had, he had a whole yeah. series about about Texas and the so anyway, it's
4: uh-huh.
0: interesting to see. The Michael Carita uh, references also reminded me that um, you know, there's so many people that are trying to break in, and it's got to be a very, you know, difficult thing. You get, what do you think it takes to actually break through and become somebody who can sell a lot of books? Is there anything in particular you would point to? or
2: I can't even imagine. I, I think about that with Michael Corita um, and how successful he's been, and I'm so happy for him but I can't imagine the persistence it would take. Lots of people now, we see them coming in the library and they're trying to self-publish initially. A lot of them are trying to do it through Amazon. And, but there's so much out there that it's hard for people to find your stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am on that one, where I think <laughs> you just have to keep trying and trying.
3: Well, Brooke, you bring an interesting perspective because you're trying to get some things published. I'm
1: going through that process right now Uh and it's a very daunting, ridiculous process. I have like a list of a 100 agents that I have to go through and the whole time I've read many lists about like what you should do while you're waiting to hear back because it takes months to hear back like when you send out a query letter and um, their highest recommendation is write another book because very rarely do authors sell their first book. I listen to author interviews all the time, and they're always like, I got published on my ninth book. And I'm like, are you kidding me? It took me like five (laughs) years to write one. So that is what makes the process extra daunting is that it might take many, many books. So it really is, like Elizabeth said, persistence, stubbornness. I think that's the only way you can get your book out there. It doesn't happen by accident, that's
0: Mm -hmm. for sure. So what's your genre that you're?
1: Uh, Young adult, yeah.
0: Michelle, I wanted to ask about poetry, too, because poetry is, um, you know, it's sort of a forgotten, it seems like sometimes it's a, a forgotten form of writing. It's not mm-hmm. uh, exactly, it's not a summer read, necessarily. Mm-hmm. But, you know, who are the people that are, are really gravitating to poetry now? And, you know, what, why would you recommend to someone that they give it another try? If they, if they read it when they were in school and said, ah, I'm done with poetry, I don't have to read another poem in my life. <laughs> what would you recommend to people to suggest that they get back into it?
5: Yeah, well I guess I'll start that by saying that it seems like poetry maybe is experiencing a bit of a renaissance right now. Um, If anything, it's a little bit trending, which is nice um, for us, (laughs) but um, I think part of that is um, kind of the advent of people publishing on the internet, so it's far more discoverable, especially if you are on Tumblr or kind of like on the blog circuit, you have access. There's wider entry points to poetry. and oftentimes, the poetry that um, sells best is not what um, especially young people really want to read, I would say, or people my age in their 20s want to read. Um, for example, like the Paris Review or um, the New Yorker or these kind of like behemoths of the publishing industry. Um, they're publishing people who have been through this like long road and institutionalized channel to get to where they are, that's how you sell books, is you go to the right universities, you um, publish with the right presses, you kind of play the game and the system of favors to get published. Um, not to say that talent isn't involved, but it is like, you're probably in your 40s before you are on the top list. Um, for example, the Yale Young Writers Series, you can be 35 and win that award hmm. for poetry. But um, what was the second One, part of your question? Well,
0: <laughs> I, I, wanted to, I wanted you to suggest you know, to people who maybe have sort of, My, fa- poetry's fallen off their radar, why you would suggest that they may want to give it another try.
5: Oh yeah, um, so I would say um, poetry is a different kind of reading than fiction. Um, It takes um, a different kind of um, time and mindset, which I find very uh, meditative. I think the opportunity to slow down um, is much needed, and I think fiction accomplishes that, but poetry in a different way. Mm -hmm. Um, You can kind of sit in orbit one for a long time, and it has layers, and this is what I tell people who feel like they can't read poetry, is that the first read, I never understand a poem, uh, truly. That's not, I never expect to, but there's something glimmering and shiny about it, um, an aesthetic experience that's really um, pleasurable, and then it's the second and the third read when you start to pick up the, the themes and kind of the project of the poem. So it's an enriching experience, um, and I would say that Use the internet, um, use blogs, find topics that ring with you, and surely there's a poet who is. Especially spoken word mm-hmm. is very accessible. Right. Um, that's gonna be right up your alley.
0: Okay, so Sarah, Sarah knows well that we get to ask the dumb questions sometimes. So, <laughs> how would you define poetry? I mean, I, because I, you know a lot of kids grow up, and I think poems just have to rhyme. You know, but, that's what makes a poem. <laughs> so, how how do you define poetry for people?
5: Um. Well from a from kind of like an academic standpoint, you can say that the the um, signifier is stronger and more present than the signified, um, meaning that the the, um, the surface content, the kind of the literal thing being communicated is um, is submerged within. The, the signifiers, so the words themselves, the images, the metaphors. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is kind of like a, a technical way to separate that from fiction where what you're signifying tends to be on the surface and available, so you can kind of keep, keep moving. Um, and it tends to develop over the course of a narrative. Poetry doesn't have to be narrative, it doesn't have to tell a story, it could be encapsulated in a single moment or be timeless. Um, and then I think sonics, the way it sounds rhyming or just um, simple assonance adds an aesthetic experience that isn't quite as present in poet- or in fiction, but is very important in poetry. the rhythms, the, um, the repeated sounds, um, the lullabyness or the you think of Ed- Edgar Allan Poe and his or the door. Um, that's the only or word I can think of right now. <laughs> Nevermore, never more. Nevermore. Nevermore. <laughs>
0: Right. All right. Thank you very much. I, I I appreciate that because I've always, you know, I I'm one of the I think the questions were based on my own experiences. Like I yeah. I like poetry sort of, but I'm not sure why and I'm also not sure how to define it. So, <laughs> but thank you. That was a uh, Michelle Gottschlich, she's the editor at Monster House Press in Bloomington. She's also We're also uh, blessed today to have Brooke Davis, bookseller at Wild Geese Bookshop in Franklin. Elizabeth Gray, adult audience strategist for the Monroe County Public Library. And Beth Stroh, the owner of Viewpoint Books in Columbus. As we talk about summer reading and books here on Noon Edition today, we'll be right back.
1: I think reading is important because it helps you learn about really cool stuff. Um, I'm actually reading for school right now, so I'm reading some physical therapy books about
3: back pain and um, muscle development. I'm a songwriter-musician, so I get a lot of... uh inspiration, and, uh, you know, vision, and, you know, clear ideas about, you know, the direction I want to take my songs through a lot of different readings, so that's probably my main reason for reading.
0: Reading is important to learn vocabulary skills, and, uh, yeah. I've been reading my whole life, but this is my philosophy about reading. A person normally has their family, their community, their workspace, and that's it. But if you read... You have the world. You have the ideas of the whole world. You have thousands of people who've taken their biggest life passion and put it down for you. That's an incredible gift.
4: Nice. Yeah, that, was that nice.
0: segment was uh, brought to us by WFIU producer Angelo Batista. He was talking with people at the Monroe County Public Library about why they love books and love reading. So that was a very nice description mm-hmm. there at the end. Um, so I wanted to, to uh, get back to some recommendations. I mean, What are you all reading now? Do you have anything in particular?
2: I'm reading a really interesting book right now. It's called The Skill of Our Hands. The author is Stephen Brust. And it's the second, which I didn't realize there was one before it, but there's this society of people who they can die and be reborn. They share a consciousness that is sort of like a garden, and they're actually on Earth to make the world a better place, which is sort of the opposite of what you usually get. Usually it's people coming in to try to do bad things. It's fascinating. It just makes me think the whole time that I'm reading it. So I'm really enjoying it. Cool.
0: Michelle?
5: Michelle? I'm reading Tristano Dies. It's a translation from an Italian book by Antonio, I think it's Tabucci. Um, It's the most challenging book I've read since college. A friend of mine, um, and decided that we would start a reading club so that we can read books that challenge us and that we'll have a support system to get through it. But it's all a stream of consciousness of a dying man who is having his life um, transcribed by this writer who already wrote a novel about his time and war, um, but it feels very Don Quixote where it's like there's the, the main character talking about his life, then there's the writer who's transcribing it, and then there's this like several layers of who's the author, um, and it slips in and out of consciousness and out of time, past and present. Um, it's absolutely beautiful, but it's taking me a while to get through <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs>
4: yeah. The last book I finished was an advanced reader copy of Little Fires Everywhere by Celeste Ng, And it's coming out in September. And I would recommend it to everyone um, to be on the lookout for that. Um, it's, we're doing that for our
2: NEA Big Read. Oh. Um, this It's going to run fall through spring. And that's the book that we're doing. Oh, so it's, that's great. It's or I'm sorry, amazing. we're doing your first book. But that book will be right. pushed for it, too.
4: It's, it's um, an incredible story of family dynamics and community and just all kinds of um, very interesting ideas. What I'm reading right now is Nancy Pearl's n- new book, um, George and Lizzie, and I'm not very far into it, but it's obviously a relationship book as well. And um, she recommends so many great books on NPR that I wanted to read her book and it also doesn't come out until September, but those are two that people mm-hmm. can be looking for.
0: She has her own action figure, doesn't she? Nancy mm-hmm. Pearl? Yes,
4: she's the mm-hmm.
2: shushing action figure librarian. Yeah. yeah. Right. yeah. Right. That's what yes. I didn't
0: uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, Brooke?
1: Uh, I'm halfway through the Throne of Glass series by Sarah J. Mass. It's a young adult fantasy series. Um, basically, the king needs a new assassin. So it's um, this entire tournament of people trying to compete to become the king's assassin, um, which Game of Thrones is really big right now, so I needed that to uh, wait out the, the waiting period between the new season, which it's finally started, thank God. Mm-hmm. But um, <laughs> one of the things I love about Young Adult is that, um, like we were talking about earlier, how a lot of adult books lack um, strong female characters, or uh, particularly in Thriller, I think we were talking about. Yeah. And Young Adult does that so well. There are so many of them. Um, the main character in this one's, her name's uh, Selena Sardothian, and she's got like two massive swords on the cover and like has this like really intense look on her face. So <laughs> that's a trend in the genre that I hope is not just a trend and um, will continue because we have a lot of great books about male protagonists out there um, who kick butt and I'd love to see more um, females kicking butt
3: in all genres.
0: Mm-hmm. Sarah, do you want to offer any?
3: that I'm reading. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I spend most of my time reading Magic tr- the Magic Treehouse series. <laughs> <laughs> I 6 year old and we are addicted, which uh-huh. I just welcome something that has a plot and um <laughs> I actually really enjoy them too. We we dive into those. the um, most recent book I read, oh my gosh, this is really sad. Does this happen when you have kids? That I don't yes. get to read? It's totally um, yes. I think it was Brain on Fire. who yeah. you read that one? I don't even remember who wrote it, but um I think she was a writer at the New York Times, mm-hmm. and then she, she started having seizures. It was actually really depressing, but um, but very, very good. I tend to read things that are nonfiction.
0: Yeah, well, you guys, you know, I read a bunch of beach reads while I was on vacation. <laughs> I did read the new John Grisham book. It was pretty good. Although his, mm-hmm. I, I like his earlier stuff a lot better than his more current things. I yeah, think I it's like he's got a lot of formula stuff that he he goes through. Um, so. When we talked about you know books versus e-readers versus all these different opportunities you have now to to find books, I mean, can you guys give them, give me some thoughts on that? I mean, is the the printed page in any jeopardy? You know, the the, the bookstores are they going to be knocked out by Amazon? Sorry, guys. I mean, are, what what's sort of your take on what's happening?
2: Well, at the library, we have everything. We've got e-books. We've got Audiobooks and downloadable books and books in print. And, you know, books in print still go out like crazy. Um, there has been an uptick in audiobooks, which I guess that that's been across the board. I was reading about that. And audiobooks have been extremely popular. They've grown in the last year, they've grown quite a bit. And I think that might be because they're downloadable now, and people that travel, either for work or just for pleasure, that's an easy way, you know, that you can do that. Um, we get a lot of women that work out at Cook; they work on the line, and they come and get uh, books on CD because they can just listen to them all day, and that mm-hmm. helps, you know, keep them busy. I don't think books in print are in jeopardy. I mean, you, you know, your your bookstore, you said you're yeah. you're doing well. I don't see that happening. There
4: was an initial decline. After e readers first came out, and obviously they saw an uptick um, in pretty immediately. But I hear from a lot of people now, these are people who are coming into a bookstore, obviously. Um, but e- even when they just n- know and I meet them casually outside of the bookstore, um, they find them helpful when they're traveling because they can put 10 or 20 books if they're going to be gone for an extended stay or in a lot of different environments on an e-reader. But if you're outside, e-readers don't work very well. So if your vacation is to the beach or even to the mountains, it's maybe not possible for you to enjoy the book that way. And carrying one, if you can afford the weight, is what really people prefer to do.
3: Mm-hmm. Is there a difference between generations? I mean, um, are more young adult books, are people reading those more in an e-edition versus?
1: Um, all All the young adult readers I know tend to prefer actual physical books. And I think that is because we've grown up with screens and that's all we see all day. So even though books have been around for thousands of years, this is almost a novelty to us because it's not something we see all the time. And it's the only chance a lot of people get to read physical words on the page.
5: If I could jump in. Um, I think that um, there's also maybe a tie between like, how labor is changing and um, the kind of dissolution of labor and, and leisure time, especially with being always available on email to do work or at the internet to do work in your off time, your off hours. Um, and I think that there's something maybe approachable about audiobooks that's fitting into those moments between um, your work at the office and your work that continues at home. So I know I listen to podcasts a lot when I'm mm-hmm. doing the dishes, or I've listened to a few audiobooks. books um, if they were readings I needed to get done, but maybe it wasn't like my like pleasurable reading. Um, it just kind of like fits in with kind of the way I think people are working more. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. Audio book um, publishers, too, are working with independent bookstores to make the books available on audio, but to benefit the Indies. And so that's a, a partnership that we support because we know some people are traveling or they they want to be able to listen to it. Mm-hmm. It's the e-readers that aren't very supportive of in the efforts. So. Right.
0: All right. If you have any questions or comments or want to share with us what you're reading this summer, please give us a call at 812-855-0811 or toll free at 1-877-285-9348. I know we've uh, talked about, well, you talked about Game of Thrones. I mean, it became a huge hit on HBO. The, the books were first and then it became this big mega series on, on television. So, how do you uh, I mean how do you approach or how i guess i 'm just looking for reaction again to the the book versus screen version of storytelling and of uh, would you rather read the book first and then watch a movie? would you rather watch a movie and then read the book
2: i 'm the queen of this because I do this all the time <laughs> so i um, Someone had suggested that I read the very first um, Game of Thrones book that came out. And I was like, yeah, because I don't read fantasy. So I just ignored it and didn't read it. And then I watched the first season, and it was so fantastic. Then I wondered, did it really follow the book? Mm -hmm. So I grabbed the book, and once I started reading that one, I read right through all the ones that had been published. I couldn't put them down. So I've read all the books, and I followed the series. I read the book American Gods when it came out, what, 15 years ago? the series just started on stars. Um, I watched the series, and then I reread the book again. At the library, we see people when a series starts up, this is a great example of Handmaid's Tale, Mm -hmm. and we can't keep the book in now. Um, We did a, a book club kit for it because we knew people wanted to talk about it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was a book that had been sitting on the shelf. It hadn't been checking out a lot. Everybody's checking it out. So I think people like to compare the two. Um, I think these series are doing such a great job. They follow the stories pretty closely. So I think they're doing a great job at, at translating the book onto screen. I seem to be more satisfied with the series than if I see a film. If I see a film of a, of a book, I generally don't like it as much. But these series, I think, have done a great job mm-hmm. of doing it. I don't know how everybody else feels about it. It, yeah, but. I agree. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. I definitely prefer a series to a, you know, a standalone, just because I think you have a lot more opportunity to get to know these characters and their personalities, and to be shocked by their choices once you learn to know them so well. Um, and I think it goes the same for like TV has had a renaissance lately, right. um, mm-hmm. because it is like a series, like a book series, where you have a lot longer um, period of time to get to know these characters
3: so you you all have talked a lot about book clubs. so as a two-part question what makes a good title and can you recommend some because i know there are there are a lot of neighborhood book clubs and, and
2: uh, one thing i would say that makes a good title this sounds sort of counterintuitive but it's true if you just read like a nice pleasant book there's nothing to talk about um, <laughs> we have a couple different book clubs at the library and i know one time i Uh, led the book club, and it was on um, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, and that was the best discussion I've ever had, and it's just because there's so much to talk about, and people were pulling, you know, somebody started bringing in the way women were portrayed in the book, which isn't typically talked about um so i think books that are more controversial or that maybe don't have the happy ending although a lot of times people are like well we want to read books with happy endings but there's not that much to talk about when you've just got an easy you know something everything's tied up neatly and there's there's nothing really controversial to talk about in it so um i would say things that you know get you thinking and and maybe people disagree you know that makes for a great discussion
5: mm-hmm. I um, posted a picture in February of um, Swing Time, the new novel by Zadie Smith, and I got something like five or six comments from friends saying, I'm also reading this book. It was wild, and we had talked about maybe doing a book club, but it didn't end up working out. But I would have loved to have someone to talk about the ending with. Um, it was a beautiful ending, but it was complicated. It wasn't like a neat bow. And I would have loved to have some. We be have like, a book club
2: kit of that. that. <laughs> we, check, we do, yes. You can check it
5: out. Yeah, yeah.
4: Well, I pulled our reading group recommendations, and even the titles suggest why you might want to read it for a book group because of that challenge and the um, potential for discussion. So, you know, temporary people, sleeping on Jupiter, dark matter. Um, Dinner with Edward: A Story of an Unexpected Friendship. So even just hearing the titles inspires you to ask questions and think, what's what's the deeper? You know, your heart is a muscle the size of a fist. You know, those kinds of um, uh, titles just make you want to say, I need to read that book and I want to talk about it with someone. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean,
0: I, I would add to that I think you know I read I read a lot of things in the summer um, I read a lot of things all year that aren't particularly things I want to talk to other people about but then I'll throw in a book like Matterhorn if you read that that yeah. was a book about Vietnam and I, it was chilling to me because you know I grew up in that era and it was you know I, I couldn't wait to talk to people about that book and recommend that they read it and then I you know I read the Um, The Bully Pulpit, which is incredibly dense. It took me like five months to read it. But every 10 or 12 pages, I was finding something new. It just happened to be an 800-page book, you know, and couldn't read it. But those kind of books, I mean, just like you're saying, they they have – there's so much meat in them to talk to different people about.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting how people will pull things out of a book. That you didn't even think about mm-hmm. and then you know like i said the the huck finn and bringing up how women are portrayed i never thought about that because we're busy worrying about you know the racial issues in it and then when somebody mentioned it and you start thinking oh yeah there aren't any strong women characters mm-hmm. um so it's really interesting to find what other people get out of it too and things that you just didn't think about when you read the story
1: yeah and the catch-22 with long books is there is a lot to talk about with long books like mm-hmm. matterhorn
2: yeah.
1: um, but you know a lot of the time we'll announce the book club pick at the beginning of the month and like you said for the other book you read it took you months to get through Um, so even though there's, there's a lot more to talk about we tend to try and stick to shorter books also because we're trying to draw in people who don't typically read. We're trying to create readers in our community, mm-hmm. and a giant book like Matterhorn is right. not going to do that. It's exactly. going to scare those people away.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. I'm scared away of most of them. <laughs> <laughs> Occasionally, I'll try one.
3: Elizabeth, can you can you talk a little bit more about your role
2: at the library and sort of
3: what you think we need to be doing to get more people reading?
2: Yeah, so my title is adult audience strategist and what I literally do is I'm responsible for all the services materials spaces programs that affect adults in our community um, obviously I don't do that by myself there's you know staff that that does all kinds of things um, but I'm really responsible for making sure that we're meeting the needs of the community so you know I do do some programs and I work some desk shifts at the library and things like that but I also go out and meet with different community members. Um, I met with the Crestmont Residents Council um, just this past week, and I talked to them about ways we can get them more involved in the library. Things the library can do, you know, to serve the needs of their community, um, and all kinds of things like that. So, um, you know, we try everything to get people to read more. We obviously send out the bookmobile, and you know, we do all kinds of things. We have homebound service for people who can't leave their homes, and we bring materials to them to read. Um, I think. You know, we're doing this Power of Words, the NEA Big Read, which we'll be doing over the fall and spring. In the fall, we're focusing on the book, The Hotel in the Corner of Bitter and Sweet. And then in the spring, it'll be Everything I Never Told You by Celeste Ding, who you brought mm-hmm. up. Um, both of those have a lot of similar themes, um, dealing with families, and there's also uh, thoughts about immigration. People have immigrated, and like the the second um, generation of immigrants. So we're trying to do lots of programming surrounding those themes and issues, and have things like that, and bring the community in. Um, Jamie Ford, who wrote Hotel on the Corner of Bitter and Sweet, will be here to speak on November 17th. So we're trying to do things to encompass the community, um, you know get every we want everybody we want to reach everybody kind of where they are and find a way to serve them through the library so you know every day we work at it mm-hmm. to jump on that com- the whole community
1: atmosphere is my favorite part about working at an independent bookstore because i have worked at big box stores and it was great and i loved it but now i actually we have regulars i know people's names and that's one of my favorite aspects it's it's a community of readers And we can build on that with our book clubs because we've all read the same books and we can all talk about it and like, what have you been reading lately? And all of our recommendations are customer recommendations and on little cards. So people say like, oh, George read that book and I love the last book George recommended. So I really (laughs) love that aspect of independent bookstores
4: and 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 libraries. I think think we are a place that Um, characteristically welcomes people. I was so complimented recently because in our community, we're listening to the stories of immigrant women right now. And they get to highlight places where they feel welcome. And um, they had their pictures taken in some of them. And I was so honored when a woman, um, a Muslim woman, came to the store and she said, this is one of my places and she was in tears and of course then i started crying just at the thought of that's exactly what we want we want an environment where people feel welcome and they don't have they shouldn't feel like they have to buy anything but they're just there and and they're at home and they can wander around and see what's there and feel comfortable
0: we have a uh, caller on the line And it's uh, Jean from Bloomington, and Jean Jean has a recommendation for us. Yeah, go ahead, Jean. Jean, are you there? Hello? Yes, hello. Are you there? Angela, I think she can't hear us, so we're going to have to... If you can get the recommendation from her, you can pass it on to us.
3: Okay. It looks like we, we lost Jean there. Um, I mentioned Magic Treehouse earlier, but uh, maybe, Brooke, you can help me with some recommendations <laughs> that also have, have a story that are good little chapter books.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, the one that's been really popular and that I really love is uh, Princess in Black. Um, it's also got a lot of the, you know, it's like got the bigger words on the page, so it's not as intimidating. And it's got lots of pictures and full color pictures. And it's got, um, you know, that kick butt female heroine that I'm really into lately. <laughs> yeah, so I think that's a great one, especially, uh, you know, not just for little girls. I, I've i always thought that was interesting how, um, you know, when I was growing up, I always read books about little boys and I never thought twice about it. I always loved that. And then a lot of boys will come in and see a book with a girl on the cover and they'll say, I'm not gonna read that, it's about a girl. And I've never understood why that was
3: necessarily. I have a six-year-old little boy, and we're very big into that right now. It's Yes, mm-hmm. it has to be boy-like or something. Right, right. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah.
4: So. The Wonder Series yeah. is a good one, too. So the stories that um, maybe help us understand people who are different from us and why we should not make judgment based on the way people look.
0: All right, I think we may have Jean back. Jean, are you there?
4: Okay, now can I, I start talking? Yes,
0: please mm-hmm
4: hello
3: go ahead jean something wrong okay i don't think jean can hear us
0: and, yeah she can't hear us hello so we're gonna have to cut her off i think sorry if you can get the message angela not yeah. sure what, We've what's tried going that. on. Yeah, there. we're not sure. Little technical difficulties.
3: <laughs> Elizabeth, can you talk about? Does how does the library partner with schools, or is there some sort of partnership? Because I know um, my my child he's got got a large printout of books that he could read over the
2: summer. And with- oh yeah, we do all kinds of things with the schools. Um, the children's department they go at the end of the year. They always go out and hand out the summer reading packets. Um, And we actually have summer reading programs for children, teens, and adults. So everybody, you you can hurry up. It's done at the end of July, but you can enter. Um, You get a prize as an adult when you just go ahead and enter, and then we have grand prizes, too. So you should get in there and enter. And it's really easy to do it. We try to make it easy. Um, They also, one thing that we do at the beginning of the school year for each of the elementary schools, actually, I think Lisa goes to all the schools. I think the high schools have them, too. They get, um, we call them e-cards. So it's a library card, but it's to use our databases online, and it's so the teachers can make use of our databases, and the kids can actually use them while they're there. So that's just a card specifically to use with the databases. So that way, you know, the schools can't pay for the a lot of the databases, um, and we have some that we want people to use as much as they can. So it's a great way to incorporate it in with the schools. Um, and I know Lisa ta- Lisa Champelli, she is our... Um, children's audience strategist. And I know she always talks with the teachers about what their curriculums are going to be and things like that so that they can provide you know, materials and help them. Classes come in first grade, classes always come in for a tour of the library at the beginning of the year too. So, yeah. Yeah.
3: I I know we only
2: have a couple minutes Mm -hmm. left and we do want to
3: give all of you a chance to just make recommendations for our audience.
0: Yeah, for our audience and for me, some thriller thriller writers (laughs) that you might have (laughs) in mind. All right, who wants to go first, Brooke?
1: um well most of my recommendations would be young adult although that's fine magpie okay. murders is the one that i've been dying to read that looks like a really great th- thriller it's got a good cover i totally judge a book by its cover uh, <laughs> not all the time but um most of my recommendations would be young adult um so um a court of thorns and roses is the series that i just finished uh, by sarah j mass um it is shelved with young adult but i would technically call it New adult, that's a genre that a lot of people haven't heard of, because it didn't really take off, but it's kind of that weird um, period between genres, like 19 to 20 year olds. Um, so it's got a lot of the stuff that you can't include in young adult, which is why I would say it's not young adult. Um, you know, just like the, the source material is older. Um, but that's a really good high fantasy. Um, let's see, what else? Francesca um, Zappia. The Indiana author uh, that I talked about earlier, she wrote Eliza and Her Monsters, which is just a really sweet book about fandom. It's, you know, fandom has been a thing that's blown up in the last couple of years um, where people go to conventions and dress up and things like that, and it's about a girl who wrote an online webcomic, but she's got all this social anxiety, so she doesn't want anyone to know that it was her, even though it's an extremely popular series. But then a boy moves to her school who's a huge fan of it, and they become close friends, and she's like, do I tell him? Is he gonna freak out? Um, so that would be my contemporary recommendation for right now.
0: Okay. Beth?
4: I haven't read thrillers. They scare okay. me, actually. <laughs> um, what anything you want. Don't worry. I've other. got a thriller for you. Right. Okay. 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 Uh, I'll well, we've
0: pass. We've got about then. one minute to go, so you're going to have to pick one or two. Yeah.
2: Or you're she, passing? Well, I oh, can, you're passing? Okay. I can tell you that I'm going to recommend Brilliance to you. It's okay. the first of a trilogy. It's by Marcus Sakey. Um, it's about, I think, 2% of the population starting in the 80s are born with some kind of weird um, power. One guy, like, every second is, like, 11 seconds to him. And so you can imagine the weird things that go on. That's I get that.
4: All right. so.
5: I loved Swing Time. I mentioned it before. But swing swing time. time by Zadie Smith and then every book by Zadie Smith.
0: <laughs> okay. All right. And we are out of time. I want to thank you all for being here. It's been a great conversation. I know I've certainly enjoyed it. Brooke Davis uh, from the, the Wild Geese Bookshop in Franklin. Michelle Gottschlich, the editor of Monster House Press in Bloomington. Elizabeth Gray from the Monroe County Public Library. And Beth Stroh from Viewpoint Books in Columbus. For Sarah Whitmire and Angelo Batista and Mike Pashcash, on Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening.